Hey folks, welcome to Biltmore Church Online. Thanks for joining us wherever you're viewing from. I know we got folks from uh, Naples, Florida, Seattle, Washington, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, a lot of different places. So thank you so much for joining us. And especially if you are from uh, Western North Carolina, cause that's where I am right now. Beautiful Western North Carolina. As a matter of fact, you can see the view behind me. Uh, over to my right is actually uh, the famous Cold Mountain. And so uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, today. And uh, as we do that, we're, we're obviously here at the top of the mountain. The first week we we're in the valley, second week we we're on the road. Now we're at the uh, at the top of the mountain and that is symbolic of uh, a lot of stuff that's been going on uh, during the first part of 21 days of prayer. We've seen prayers answered in every uh, every form imaginable. We've seen marriages restored. We have seen prodigals come home. We've seen that person that people have been praying for for years uh, come to Christ and get baptized. All of those have happened. We've seen jobs get offered. We've seen a uh, diagnosis uh, come in there and they have changed. And you're like, those are great. Uh, but we've also, just to be perfectly frank, uh, sometimes we have not seen some things as well. Uh, some are not. Uh, some are not. Uh, some are not indicative of being here on the mountain. Some are you're still in the valley and you're like, where's, where's my miracle? I remember a story a, a while back, Ernest Hemingway, he made, a, he made a bet or somebody made a bet with him. Some people around the table bet him that he could not write a short story using only six words. And so he took their betting for 10 bucks and he just took a napkin right there. I think they were in a bar and he just wrote down these six words, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Obviously won the bet. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. And I'll bet, just like Hemingway did, put a short story together years ago, there's some of you that's like, man, I, that, that, that story is my story. Uh, maybe your story in six words is, my prodigal is not coming back. I'm leaving, the marriage is over. This addiction has control over me. You are not able to conceive. The cancer is not responding to treatment. Your position is no longer needed. Or our country is literally on fire. Whatever your story is, I understand where some of you are. You're like, where, where are my miracles? Where are my miracles, Lord? Where is my answered prayer? I mean, you hear all these great stories and you see all these video testimonies about all these breakthroughs that have happened in people's lives, all these specific answers to prayer. You read them in the Bible, then you see them at church and you're like, you know what? I've asked for a lot of stuff too. I've asked for stuff sometimes for months and I'm not seeing it. What about me? I'm not seeing much and it doesn't seem like you're in action. And it reminds me, uh, actually, there's a question that, uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, there's a question that a dad actually had about his son, because his own son is being destroyed right in front of his eyes. And he had come to the disciples, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and this dad comes to the disciples like, hey, can you help my, can you help? my son's throwing himself in the fire, he's destroying himself, uh, can you do something? And the disciples actually were pretty good at that by that point, and they couldn't do it at all. And then finally Jesus comes there and he, it's that famous scene when it's like, you know what, uh, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say this mountain, uh, move and it will move. And then later on when he was down low with the disciples, they're discouraged because they're like, how come we couldn't do anything to help the boy? Because Jesus then healed the boy. Like, how come we couldn't do anything? And then Jesus makes a statement that is sort of our jump off for this third 
part in the 21 days of prayer. And here's what he said. He said, this kind, this kind does not come out except through prayer and fasting. Now, I know as soon as I said that, you hear that and your immediate reaction is probably, you know what? Hey, Bruce, prayer is hard. Prayer is hard, but it's doable. But fasting? I mean, come on. What I'm going to just tell you is Jesus said there are some hills to climb. There are some obstacles to overcome that you are going to need to seek him with more desperation than you really ever have in your life. And if you grew up in church, uh, this might be the very first time you've ever heard anybody teach on on fasting. You thought that was some maybe some Old Testament deal like sacrificing animals. Like we don't do that anymore, do we? Well, Jesus had a lot to say about it. He not only practiced it, he taught on it. So let me, let me read you our scripture today out of Matthew chapter 6, 16, 17, and 18. And here's what he says. He says, and when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And then he ends it by saying, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And the context of this part of the Sermon on the Mount is he's going through spiritual disciplines and he's told them, he's like, there's a right way to do spiritual disciplines and there's a wrong way to do it. The wrong way, and by the way, those other ones that he's mentioned are giving and prayer, and now he gets to fasting. He says the wrong way is to be showy about it, to be hypocritical about it. If that's what your goal is, then guess what? You've already received your reward, which is people looking at you and saying, man, what a spiritual, spiritual person that is. But the right way, another way, is humble. It's from the heart. And what happens is when you do that, he's like, it's going to change not just you. It's going to change other people. It's going to change circumstances. So there's a lot of confusion about this. Let me ask and try to answer three questions and then give you a challenge. And the first one is this, you know what, what actually is fasting anyway? I mean, what is fasting? I've, you know, heard about it or seen some monks do it or some Eastern religions do it, but what is biblical fasting? Because Jesus says again, when, when you fast, when you fast. If you were to take your Bible and look at the back of it, if you have a concordance or you can go online and get free concordances pretty much everywhere and you put in and look for fast or fasted or fasting, you would be shocked at how often it actually comes up in the Bible. Uh, Moses fasted before he received the Ten Commandments. Daniel fasted to receive guidance from God. And Nehemiah, when he heard that his country was on fire and it basically burned down, the walls had burned down, he fasted before this major building project. Jesus fasted during victory over temptation at the start of his public ministry. The early church several times before they made big decisions, they also fasted. So let's give a definition out on the table about what it is, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Here's the definition of biblical fasting. It is denying yourself something physical for a spiritual purpose. That's fasting. It's denying yourself something physical, usually food. The the fasts in the Bible were for food, for a spiritual purpose. Again, you can do some other ones, and I'll explain that at the end. Sometimes people will do like a news fast or a phone fast or an electronics fast or whatever. It's abstaining, but primarily it's abstaining from food for a measured period of time for a spiritual purpose. So let me tell you again what it is not. 
Fasting is not, it's not dieting, all right? It's not keto, it's not trying to get rid of your corn tummy, that's not what it is. It's not even intermittent fasting, that's not what it is. That's fine, that's just not, that's just not fasting. It's also, and this is important, it's not some outward act that you do for God to all of a sudden accept you or receive you or declare you holy. This is where you gotta understand gospel fasting. Listen, if you know Christ, he has already made you holy before God. He's already redeemed you, he has already forgiven you, Ephesians 2 says that, you know what, you are his workmanship created, what, in Christ Jesus. And so again, you don't, Old Testament, you see kind of that fasting for consecration. You don't fast for consecration. You don't fast for God to set you apart or to declare you holy. You are declared holy if you are in Christ. So you're like, well, why should I fast then? Let me give you two reasons here. Number one, when or why should I fast? There's a bunch of reasons. Reason number one we'll look at, we'll look at two. Reason number one is I should fast when my walk is dry. I should fast when my walk is dry or distant. There's some sense that fasting, you fast from something and you fast to something or for something. So when my walk is dry, verse 17 says, but when you fast, in other words, you fast, you fast in private and you go to your father who sees in secret and he will reward you. In other words, the point of fasting is not to make much of us. It's not to make much of you. It's to make much of God. And what it does is, and this is important, it tells your flesh no. When you fast, you are telling your flesh no so you can tell Jesus yes. Fasting will show you how our flesh cries out, satisfy me. And when you and I fast, what we're saying is, you know what, flesh, you are not my king. Jesus is my king. Because what's the number one, what is the number one drug of choice for comfort? Listen, it's, it's not alcohol. It's food. It's, it's food. I mean, think about our society. We are replete with food. Everything about the good life in our society is about food. And think about the different things that we do. We've got uh, Instagram. People will take pictures of their food. You have celebrity chefs. You have cooking shows. You've got who knows how many restaurants. We even have names. We talk about comfort food. We talk about, you know what, just eat your feelings. And what does that mean? That means we have certain feelings, whether that be shame or worry or insecurity, then food can kind of cover that for a minute. I mean, think about, I mean, when you are really down and out or discouraged, it is true that, man, some cookies and cream, bluebell ice cream can cover some sorrow, at least for a little bit. Think about, uh, Think about like, the, if you go to the Cheesecake Factory, that is the largest menu I've ever seen in my life. It has chapters of how you can satisfy your food desires. Or if you don't have time for, or the money for Cheesecake Factory, if you live in certain parts of the country, there's a place, there's a place called Whataburger. Whataburger is an amazing fast food hamburger joint. It also has the least healthy hamburger known to man. Looked it up. The triple cheeseburger at Whataburger has almost 1,900 calories, 84 grams of fat, has 200, just a, you guys in low carb, it has 221 grams of card, carbs. It has three five inch beef patties layered on top with cheese and then, and then bacon. And so what does fasting do? Fasting takes away the defenses of our comfort food. Now, uh, there's a guy named Richard Foster who's got a bunch of good stuff on fasting. Let me give you a couple of his quotes. He says this, 
More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside with food and other good things. Another place he says this, he says, our human cravings and desires are like rivers that tend to overflow their banks and fasting helps keep them in their proper channels. Now make no mistake about it, food is a gift from God. And it's not just to sustain us. Just think about this. God could have made food taste just like super bland, but he didn't. He gave all these flavors, then you mix them together and they hit your taste buds and they're, they're great, great joy. And we ought to give Thanksgiving for that. So there's nothing wrong with food. But what fasting does, which is a temporary time where you abstain from something physical to dive deeper into God, what fasting is, is an MRI. It looks on the inside at things that we tend to want to cover up and starts to pull them out so that we can then hunger for God. Now, understand this. When God convicts you, when God convicts you, God never convicts you to lead you to shame. This is so important. God does not convict you to lead you to shame. He always convicts you to lead you into greater life. He says, I have something better for you. Let me woo you closer. So what does that mean? That means practically you want to use the time that you would normally spend preparing and buying and eating, whether it be a meal, whether it be a day, whether it be a week, but that food, and then have that hunger point you to Jesus. Spend that time in the word and prayer and intercession but the idea is, you know what? My flesh is not king. Jesus is my king. I go to Jesus for my comfort. I don't just go to food for my comfort. So when should I fast? When my walk is dry. Second one, we should fast when my burden is big. I need to fast when my walk is dry. And I need to fast when the burden is big. So as I said earlier, we fast from something. You know what? I'm going to mortify my flesh. I'm also going to fast to something or for something, and that's the idea of a breakthrough. I mean, think about again, the story of the dad with the demon-inflicted son. Jesus said, this kind, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So loved one, let me just ask you a question. Do you have a burden that you've been carrying for a long, long time? Do you have a, a challenge and you're not seeing the change in it that you thought you would see? Go ahead and this week, Fast this week in some way, shape, or form. Uh, fast from a meal. Uh, let the gnawing in your stomach. Now, let me just say, it is not as you think, oh, fasting is so easy and awesome, and it's going to be this amazing spiritual experience. I hope you get there. But the reason he says don't make yourself look miserable to those people is there's nothing wrong with accountability, but fasting can be hard. If you've ever done it, it's hard. There's a point in time, even after one meal, when everything you look at looks like a McNugget. Everything, all right? You can look at tape. It looks like a McNugget. You can look at stuff. And that is what happens. You want your hunger, that gnawing in your stomach, to then lead you to say, you know what? I'm going to feed on God's Word, and I'm going to let that take me to Jesus. So here's what fasting is. You're saying to God, I need you to intervene in my life in a way that I cannot make happen. That's fasting for a breakthrough. Now, again, 90% of, 95% of your sanctification, of your spiritual transformation, is in the day-to-day, week-by-week, ordinary disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and repentance and fellowship and account. That's almost, that's 90% of the Christian life. But there are things and there are times when you need God to bust through something that you cannot get a handle on. And this is one of those times. And you can just pick what it is. I mean, think about it. It could be about just for your nation. You look around and the whole world is literally on fire. Listen to me, loved ones. 
Our hope is not in the White House. Our hope is not in the courthouse, all right? Our hope is in God's, it's, our hope is in God and God's people need to be crying out to God. I'll give you an example. In uh, Nehemiah chapter one, before Nehemiah went, he heard this report about his country and how the walls had burned down and how it was defenseless. And before he went, and he did do the work, he did, he worked hard, he had, it's a great book on leadership, but before he did this, the Bible says that, guess what? He prayed and he fasted and then he worked. You might not know this, but in February of 1756, two and a half centuries ago, the entire nation of Britain was called to a day of solemn fasting and prayer in view of the threatening invasion by the French. February 6, 1756, John Wesley writes in his journal, the fast was a glorious day such as London has ever seen. Every church in the city was more than full and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God hears prayer and there will be a lengthening of our peace. That's what he's saying. So here's what I'm asking you to do. What is the one thing it seems like this is insurmountable? I don't see it changing. And so this week, you don't just fast from something, you fast to something. And maybe that's that prodigal that's not budging. You've been praying and praying and praying and she's not budging. Take something this week and let God lay it on your heart. It might be a meal. It might be some non-food thing. It might be the whole week, whatever it is. Fast and pray for that prodigal. Some of you right now, and I just saw the other day that during COVID times, there's like a 31% increase in marital disharmony. How marriages are just like fractured like this. And yours, there's a lot of people watching and that's your marriage. You're like, if something doesn't change, if he doesn't change, if she doesn't change, if I don't change, I don't know how much longer this can work. Invest in this and say, you know what? This matters to me. Because listen, if it doesn't matter to you, why do you think it would matter to God? Say, this matters, this matters. Cry out to God. Put on top of that fasting to say, you know what? I'm fasting for this marriage. Maybe it's that stronghold that you've kind of kicked down the road for years and years and years. And God's like, this, this is the time you're going to get some freedom. This is the time you're going to be actually set free. Uh, we've already seen this happen. Maybe it's that lost loved one, that person that you are really burdened for. It's like, I wish she would come to Christ. I wish that my granddaughter would repent or whatever that is. Fast for them. What you would spend normally eating or looking at your phone or whatever fast you're going to do, turn that around and use that to intercede, pray on that person's behalf. Maybe it's your school, whatever it is, just say, I'm crying out to God. So how do I fast? How do I do this? And by the way, the text does not preclude you having one or two people that you go through this with. Okay. The whole point of what Jesus is talking about was not that other people can't know. It's just that you're not showy about it. You're not saying, look at me and I'm so miserable. That's not what it is. You can have somebody that say, hey, this is, because there's going to be some times when you're hungry and you're, you're wanting to eat something. What will you do is say, hey, we're in this together. I need some encouragement. So it's okay to have somebody you go through it with. But here are, the, here are a couple of fasts that we can choose from. One of them we'll just call a normal fast. A normal fast means you're going to abstain from food for spiritual progress and intercession. Now, you can do it a bunch of different ways. There's a bunch of things in here. Uh, you can pick a meal, all right? Pick a meal. Again, if you have physical things going on or you have eating disorders or whatever that is, please make sure you get some medical part of, you know, medical advice for this. There's a handout that you can have. There'll be a PDF on the website. But a normal fast is abstaining from food for spiritual progress and intercession. Pick a meal, pick a day, do the whole week, all right? Again, you're fasting from something and you're fasting for something. One guy said it this way, whenever you begin a fast, remember, if it doesn't mean anything to you, it won't mean anything to God. 
without being combined with prayer and the word, fasting is a little more than dieting. Listen, we're not dieting, all right? We're fasting. Another way is what we just call a partial fast, and that's fine, all right? We're not fasting legalists here, all right? We're not trying to see who can do the best fast. You do what God lays on your heart. But a partial fast, you see this in Daniel. For example, Daniel refused a particular category of food. So other partial fasts might be you fast from sugar for the week. You're like, well, that'd be easy. Well, just try it, all right? Just try to cut out sugar for a week. Uh, fast from news, fast from television, fast from your phone, fast from Google, fast from going on the web, all right? But what you do is you fill that time with the word and with prayer. Um, and by the way, just so you know, God's gonna do as much in you as that you're praying for somebody else. I'll give you, I, I should have said this earlier, but about 13 or 14, 15 years ago, my wife, and this is not to set a bar that's unreachable, but my wife, uh, she did actually a 40-day fast, a 40-day fast. Now, she drank water and an occasional protein drink, but she did not eat food for 40 days. And she started the whole thing off praying for one of our boys. I won't tell you which one. She, she started, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for that boy. I'm going to pray for that young man. But as she will attest, just a little bit into it, just a little bit into it, God began to do a work on her life. Man, she was absorbing all these different awesome Christian writers and all these guys from the 1600s as well as her Bible reading scripture. Remember, man, she just like flew by me spiritually. And so God began to show stuff in her while she started though thinking I was gonna do it for somebody else. So again, don't make that your, that's not your baseline, but just pick a fast, a partial fast would be great. And you're like, what's gonna happen? All I know is the text says God will reward you. Two, two verses, and then let me pray for us. Matthew 5, 3, just a chapter before, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A couple of verses later, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Basically, what that means is Jesus loves to exalt the humble, and Jesus loves to fill things that are empty. Again, we're not dieting, and this is not about discipline. This is about desperation about that one thing that you are crying out to God and you have not seen it happen yet. And you're removing something, listen, you're removing something, food, phone, whatever, so that God can fill it. Let me just give you one last challenge on this. True story, there's a documentary that was done not too long ago of a 34-year-old woman. 34-year-old woman had a 300-pound tumor removed from her body. Now, before the tumor began to grow, she only weighed 150 pounds. The filmmakers, the documentary makers, were curious, like, why didn't you do something before? Why didn't you do something before? Why have you waited until the tumor was that size? And here's what she said. She, quote, I figured that it would go away on its own. The tumor is unique. The attitude is not. I just figured it would go away on its own. Please hear me. It's not going away on its own. That one thing is not gonna get better on its own. That marriage is not gonna magically get better. That prodigal is not gonna magically come home. That money is not magically gonna get better. What fasting and prayer is like, you know what? I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask God in desperation to move that I can't make move. So let me pray for us and, um, and we'll be done. Father, thanks for, uh, thanks for this in some ways mysterious, uh, discipline that is very unfamiliar to most all of us. And I pray during this week that you would uh, allow us to participate in this. God, I pray you would lay on the hearts of the men and women that are watching a particular thing to remove for the week 
removed so that they can then replace that with a hunger and a thirst for you. God, if we have a friend that we can go into this journey with, help us to reach out and say, hey, let's walk through this journey together. Hold me accountable this week. I'm crying out to God for my marriage, my prodigal. I'm crying out for my country. I'm crying out for my school that God would do what only he can do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.